1: Welcome to the Everyday Mindfulness Show, the -the off-the-cuff exploration of everyday aha moments and life experiences. Join a cast of over 70 uniquely brilliant individuals. Each week, Mike Domish and an eclectic mix of cast members and special guests will engage in mindful and lively conversations about everything from meditation to spirituality to personal passions to successes and failures to relationships. To the stuff that makes up the moments of our daily lives. Let's get started with your host, author, speaker, provocateur, and a bit of a goofball, Mike Domish. Hi, yes, I'm your host, Mike Domish, and thrilled to be
2: here with a special guest this week for the Everyday Mindfulness Show. And this special guest is one of our cast members, also a brilliant, brilliant author, a professor at Northwestern University very, very well known, worldwide has recognition for her marriage 101 class on campus. It's the most popular class on campus. We're having her on, though, for really to discuss her book, uh, which is an amazing book, Loving Bravely. And so we want to introduce you to Dr. Alexandra Solomon. So thank you, Alexandra, for joining us today.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. This is fun.
2: Absolutely. I have been diving into your book and just loving it. And, and people may hear that going, What do you mean you're diving in? Well, it's a book that's just full of exercises that you just don't read. You you read and then stop and go, all right, I'm gonna apply, I'm gonna take that exercise and I'm gonna use that exercise for my own life right now. And and because of that, the level of mindfulness that the book really brings out in one's own self-understanding of how they view relationships, of their current relationships. I loved it and and for people watching or listening they might be thinking well you know if I look at that book does it sound like it's for newer couples but that's not the case at all while you might feel at times hey it might be written for that person it applies to all ages I've been married 23 years now going on 23 years and I'm diving into this just as much, I think, as somebody who is in a dating would be or somebody newly married would be. So for you, when you brought the book together, what was the intention? Who was the focused audience?
0: Yeah, you know, the focused audience really is people who are exploring relationships, learning about themselves in the context of relationships. And that, you know, probably is a younger, kind of skews a little bit younger. But that's only because that's ideally when our self-awareness happens, our relational self-awareness happens. In the ideal world, we kind of do our work, understand who we are, understand what we want in love, and then partner. But we all know that we don't live in the ideal world. So I have worked with 19 year olds who are far and away more relationally self-aware than some 65 year olds I've worked with. So you know we can't to me, we can't really put a chronological age, time developmental stamp on when we do this deep dive journey into self to ask questions about what is it that love stirs in me, demands of me, triggers in me, and how do I best work with the complexity of love? Yeah, and what
2: I love about the book is, look, for me, a lot of my mindfulness approach to life started in my 40s. And so, the book is hitting, hitting me right where it needs to, you know, in my later 40s now is even with the the years of work I've been doing, everything I'm reading it is applicable to me right now where I'm at. And so I think that's important for anyone listening around right and going, well, you know, I have done my mindfulness. Maybe I did that in my 20s. So maybe this book isn't going to work for me. I would say just the opposite. Anybody who has looked at a mindfulness for their life, for how they practice, you know that you're not done if you did it in your 20s. It's an everyday thing. And so this book becomes so applicable. You give 20 lessons for people to use. And, and every chapter is a lesson, literally with an exercise you can apply to your life, whether that's a mental thing where you sit down and think about something, or whether that is evaluating with literally a graph or a table that you can fill in and, and look at and go, wow, that's where I'm at right now, which I thought was brilliant. There's so many different learning levels as far as approaches to learning that someone can apply there. When when somebody goes through the 20 lessons, and, and they're all super simple to read. It's not a complex concept in the book at all. It's a very simple approach you can easily apply. Are there certain ones of the 20 that for you personally really stand out as the author of the book? Like these are my special ones, you know?
0: Right. Oh, it's like asking for your favorite kid.
1: Right. right.
0: (laughs) Um, You know, it's been really, so this is my first time using um, my own book in my work with my graduate students. So I'm, I'm finishing up teaching my um, graduate students who are training to be marriage and family therapists at the family Institute at Northwestern University. And so we've been moving through the book together and it's been really fascinating to kind of talk with them about what stands out, what works and what doesn't work. It's really, I think sometimes when something doesn't work, there's as much learning about, you know, like when there's that rub and something isn't quite feeling right, whatever you learn in moving through the rub or letting go of something, that's also learning. So I, one of my favorite—I mean, I think one of my favorites—is something I have done for years and work with with clients on and students on—is the idea of kind of finding a, a photo of yourself, a young self, a young you, and having it present in your home. And I think it's a piece of you know the mindfulness practice that's about learning to notice how you're talking to yourself and whether your self-talk is opening you to love or closing you—you know—away from love. And that first loving relationship really ultimately is with self. And so powerful, helpful tool is the idea of thinking about being a loving parent to my own self, to my own little girl. And so sometimes just having her really available is helpful because it's like, oh, I wouldn't talk to her like that. So I best not talk to me like that.
2: And I love that part. And then what's cool about that in the book is you talk about the and, right? So... I can acknowledge that I'm having these feelings because that little girl struggled at one time with this or this in my you know, my case, that young boy struggled with this. And I'm now an adult who can handle this because the little girl doesn't have to handle that. And so the grown, Mike can handle this and that self-talk of I feel this hurt because of what that young girl experienced or that young boy experienced and now I'm at a place where I can I got this I got this yep. and I thought it was brilliant how you use an example of for instance if you were to go out and in my life it's speaking so if I were to go on stage in front of a thousand people and for some reason that audience some trigger occurred that I was extremely scared or nervous if that were to somehow take place and I'm able to figure out oh I'm having that fear of judgment again that I had that I wasn't good enough or whatever that young boy but I'm not that young boy anymore. Now I'm this really, I'm a subject matter expert. I have all this experience in front of crowds. I got this. I've got this. I love that transition that you provide for, for that experience in the book. It's, it's such a beautiful place of mindfulness of where I've come from and where I am today.
0: Well, and think about if we, if we don't have a tool that helps us access self-compassion, then what we're going to end up meeting that fear with, at least in my case, is judgment like, what, you know, what's wrong with you? You know, you're not, you're an imposter. This is all below, like I'll meet that fear with a ton of self-judgment, which only amplifies the fear. It doesn't, it doesn't transform it. It doesn't soften it. It also takes me out of connection with my audience, with my partner, you know, that whole thing I'm doing within myself, I'm, I'm lost to the world. So bringing in whatever path, That self-compassion takes, a photo, a song, whatever kind of helps us remember, oh, yeah, being kind to me opens the door to connection. Without that, you know, I'm lost. I'm not not really here. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
2: and you talk about that idea of naming, connecting. You talk about that specifically. And what I think is powerful about that is that you've got to be able to dig, Are you right? Because a lot of us will go, hey, I'm finding myself almost addicted to social media. I've got to constantly be looking back up on online or doing this. Okay, I know that I need to stop it. But without the dig, you don't end stopping it. You apply guilt and shame to the fact you feel this way. So what's causing me to want to go there? If I don't know the cause, then I can't name it. I can't say it out loud and bring it out, out from darkness to light. So it can't own me anymore. It's so important. And you really throughout the book, you bring that home multiple times in lessons in some facet or capacity uh, mm-hmm. that comes through. The, the dig, we got to do the dig, right? Those are the yeah. lessons at the end of each chapter. Let's do the dig now.
0: Yep. Yeah. So that doesn't stay, so that doesn't stay stuck in the abstract. And so it doesn't stay stuck in just like change the behavior, change the behavior, change the behavior. Okay, well, let's maybe ask a curious question about what the behavior is showing us. What is it? How is that sort of a red flag that we can then thread down into self and just be really curious about what's going on without judgment or knowing where it's going to go. And this is really, you know, I do this in my office with couples all the time. It's, it's hard to let go. It's hard to dig because when we dig, we don't know the outcome. It's a truly mindful process, right? Of just being with the emotion, the awareness as it is without really knowing what's going to happen with it. That's, that's hard to do and it takes bravery to do that. It often takes a loving therapist, a loving partner, a tribe, a friend, you know, to kind of just stay with that exploration of what is, why am I doing this? What is this pattern? I'm watching myself do this thing. I don't get it.
2: Yeah. And then you bring up a brilliant point there about that, that whole idea of watching myself. It can be difficult to dig without judgment. And I think your book, because you use examples throughout the book of actual couples, that you've helped through therapy. And and I'm sure you may at times replace names. I think at times you mention that actually in the book. But by reading about them, you don't feel the self-guilt of, am I doing this? You naturally think, oh, I've done that.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh,
2: And so it doesn't feel like I have to be invasive to have this, to read this book because it naturally takes me to these places. By reading the stories of others, I'm able to easily connect to them and see myself in them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what I like about the book is you talk about the fact of therapy, and that this can lead people to understanding the value of therapy, and so I'd love to go there with you, because a lot of times an author writes a book and they're like, "Well, my book is the book for this, and it'll it'll so- help you solve the problem." And you're very upfront with this is an exploration that you really are going to. Ha- the book's going to take you in so many wonderful places. Maybe explore the the possibility of this being part of the journey along with therapy, and and yeah. you are a big you're a big proponent of. Talk with a therapist, a counselor, have that professional voice you can turn to. So I'd love to go there because I think it's wonderful you're saying that because so many authors want it wants to be about I'm the solution versus I'm here for the conversation for the dig. But this is such a grander scheme we're talking about. You want an ongoing relationship with someone. I think that's the the spirit of that. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. I that's been one of the pieces that has been surprising and really delightful to me is, is hearing feedback about, oh my gosh, this reading this book has helped me open up new pathways with my individual therapist, with our couples therapist. And that is just, to me, that's like (laughs) worth every, you know, worth every hour I spend on it. The, the, The book could help people kind of Deepen, find a new direction. I have no desire or need to be the end all, be all. I love the idea of the book being a piece of somebody's journey, something that opens a door that shines a light somewhere it hadn't been shined before. But yeah, I mean, I've, I've you know been in this in this field of couple of therapy for 20 years. I've been a consumer of. I've been on both every side of the couch that one could possibly be on, and I have you know little to no shame about that, and and hold my own. Therapists really deeply in my heart. And it's so sacred, the work that I've been able to do with them. And it's, it has fed and nurtured me as a clinician. So it ends up feeling like this big old circle of give and take and witness and show up. And one of the things that bums me out tremendously is the amount of stigma we still have about therapy. This whole, I don't believe in therapy. Well, therapy is not Santa Claus. It exists. It's there. It's a tool. I think for as much stigma as there is about individual therapy, there's more stigma about couples therapy. And that is one of the the more painful aspects of my existence as a couples therapist is oftentimes by the time a couple gets into my office, they really are in the 11th hour. They really are pretty much one hand on the phone to call a divorce lawyer and one hand on the phone to call me. And that's a really difficult place to work because couples therapy is hard. The sooner, the better, the more often, the better. I think of it is sort of like a dose. In our field, we talk about a dose-based approach to do a little bit of therapy as you're making the transition to being a married couple or deciding whether or not to get married, another dose around the birth of a child, another dose around adolescence, you're launching Empty Nest. Just really think of it as a tool that comes into our lives around those important transitions when everything gets shaken up. Stuff about me, stuff about you, stuff about us. Um, to have a space where somebody can bear witness to really important conversations is just—it's just really important.
2: I, I loved it when—I mean, early on in the book, you talk about the fact that you work with a therapist, and for so many people out there, they think, "Oh, the author would be the last person to <laughs> right. need to need," and that's the problem. It's the stigma of need to uh-huh. need a therapist versus want a therapist choose to work with a therapist, that language is so vitally important that when I read it, I thought, wow, am I using a therapist to the extent that I should? I mean, I have personal trainers that I work with to help my mm-hmm. physical, my wellness, my vibrancy, and I don't go to them once and then never go again. That, that doesn't work. It was great. There was a great moment of exploration there. I, I thought it was wonderful. I think for anyone listening, if you think, why wouldn't I use a therapist? Like business, the top business people in the world, many of them have coaches, Business Mm -hmm. coaches. What are those? They're therapists. They're therapists in some capacity. And I think a lot of people forget they're using therapy, but really unhealthy therapy. Right? Mm -hmm. So so their therapy Mm -hmm. is social media. Their therapy is alcohol. Their therapy is unhealthy life choices to numb what they're not dealing with. Or their therapy is raging or arguing and arguing with their partner. So I have a choice. I can bring this really positive Force in my life. How about this? Uh, many people turn to religion as, mm-hmm. as an outlet for their answers. And so you believe in therapy. Mm-hmm. You believe in therapy. The question is, are you willing to acknowledge that there's this other form of therapy with professionals that can help me in this realm that it mm-hmm. can be of great value to me? So I just want to thank you for early on in the book tackling that. And it, it's, it's, it's a line throughout, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, thank you for acknowledging that. I think that you're, I mean, I really like how you're saying that, right. We're finding that the internal strife that comes from just literally living in a human body is going to, it's going to come out some way or another. So we've got choices about, right. Alcohol, social media, infidelity, da da, da da therapy, you know, therapy is one possible way to kind of transform the, all the stuff that comes, the churning that comes from just being part of this world of ours.
2: Yeah. So, um, and, and to help us get to that next, that next step, right? There's not a final ending, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. it's the next step. And speaking of the next step, your book, it, it's only been out a little while. So it's, this next one might be a little more difficult, but because of the, cl- the classes you teach, you also get to see it there. What are some of the greatest takeaways that you've seen in lives because of the lessons that this book is just filled with, that are just brilliant, that you can share as examples of, hey, we saw this go from here to there. And the book reveals some of that in some of the stories you share. So what are some of the, for you, the most some of the biggest takeaways that a couple's had or a person has had that's that has made you go, oh, that's why we do this work?
0: One of my graduate students was telling me that she was in a situation, in a conflict with somebody that she cares about. And she she was, she felt her knee jerk reaction to pick up the phone and just like lay into that person. It's somebody who means a great deal to her. And she was, had the phone in her hand. And then she caught a glimpse of loving bravely out of the corner of her eye. She put her phone down and she just went inside for a while inside herself, work with her breathing, just sat, like sat in that pause, that precious space between stimulus and response and reclaimed, you know, her human freedom, right? That beautiful Viktor Frankl quote that I, I feel like I could just chew on for the rest of my life about this precious space between stimulus and response. Like that's where our freedom lies and choosing what we want to do. And so the, the book triggered in her the memory of, oh yeah, I can pause. I don't have to take this ick that I'm feeling inside and my knee jerk desire to lay into somebody and let them know how they've hurt me, disappoint me. I can just stay here for a moment. I don't have to figure it all out right now. I can sit with this. And it ended up shifting for her and she made a different choice. And that was um, really cool to hear.
2: That's awesome. And you referenced there, just for anyone listening right now, Viktor Frankl, a lot of people may know Viktor Frankl for the book, Man's Meaning search of
0: for, Life. S- search for Meaning.
2: There we go, Man's Search for Meaning. Yes. it's in. If you look up Viktor <laughs> Frankl, it's an amazing story of his actual experience Uh, surviving concentration camps. So for anyone listening, you can look it up. It's Frankel, F-R-A-N-K-L, just because you made that. Mm -hmm. It is. It's a beautiful, beautiful book, but you use that quote specifically. Yeah, what I love about this book is I think people also hear loving bravely and they hear relationships and they think this is about me and an intimately sexual partner. And they don't realize that loving relationships... That means parents, that means Mm -hmm. siblings, that means all these people that I have these relationships with that are impacting my ability to have this other relationship over here with another human being. And I thought that's great because if you really use the exercise in this book, you're gonna be changing family relationships. And I don't mean changing it, maybe that's the wrong word. Maybe growing or further developing and discovering Mm -hmm. with them family relationships with parents, with siblings. I mean, you have a whole exercise on there about, talking one-on-one with your parents about what love means to them now, where they are in their life now, compared to what it meant to them when they first met, compared to what it meant to them when you were a child. Because Mm -hmm. how they've changed and how they would parent, all those things can play in huge for you to have that discovery is powerful. And so this book is about life relationships and loving bravely. I I know people might be thinking, well, what would it be like? Because people always like to do that with books, right? What other book would I compare? I think the author I would put this in comparison with would be Brene Brown. And mm, that mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. you both take us on a journey of discovery and without shame, without guilt. And it's just about learning and discovery. And that journey t- takes us to a place that puts us in a healthier realm for what's
0: next. Yeah. So, right. So, so, somebody who's reading this book may not be probably, they may not be in a romantic relationship right now. But all of that, all of our relationships, as you're saying, are sort of mini love classrooms, right? All the people that we are connected to are classrooms for us. They're all teachers to us. They show us more about ourselves. And so the degree to which we bring that curiosity, that self-awareness, the willingness to hold up a mirror in all those relationships, it's laying the foundation then for honing the instrument of self than when we are dating, showing up for a first date. The degree to which I'm really clear on what's mine, what's yours, where's the boundary, how do I tune into when something feels right, a green light, let's go forward, versus, oh, something's not right here, red light. The degree to which that is all aligned, like that sets us up so much better than to, to show up on a first date and really, okay, let's see what's going to unfold in this space between you and I.
2: Well, and one of the stories that I think is a great example of that in the book I'm not remembering, I don't think it's Toby, but it's a gentleman on the night of his marriage and he's at his wedding ceremony and just some little things have gone wrong. And anybody who's been married and had a ceremony knows that's how it works. Ceremonies, receptions, things go wrong, but things have been going wrong. And he was having a great time. Him and his partner now, you know, married partner, we're having a great time. He walks into the bathroom. His father, who can be a bit cynical, negative energy, is says to him, this is the worst wedding ever. <laughs> And then in the past, this would have a massive impact on the son of either self-defensiveness or, oh, my wedding sucks, you know, that kind of absorbing it. And this time, because of the discovery he had, he looks at his dad, I think he places his hand on his dad's shoulder and says, dad, uh, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm having a wonderful time. So I'm sorry to hear you're not. And boom. Doesn't have to own his father's cynicism, negative energy, doesn't have to allow it to be, and I love this language that you use in there about boundaries, doesn't have to be porous. He does not have to be porous to that. He can have a solid boundary that says, that's not my, that's not my situation to deal with. That's his situation to deal with. And I can love tonight and I can enjoy tonight. And that's unfortunate but that's not gonna pour into me. And so I love the word porous, because I think you can think of, am I allowing it to pour into me? And if I am, this is not a healthy boundary, it's a porous boundary. And you talk about that, I love it. I, the idea of is it porous, is it you know a solid boundary? Another area that I love. So there's just so many examples I think people can relate to. And it, somebody might be thinking, well, that's not your dad or that's not your mom. No, but it might be this friend I have that does that in my life. Sure. It, it, right. It might be someone. And I allow those boundaries to be crossed because I don't set rigid, strong enough boundaries while still having an open relationship. That doesn't mean cutting mm-hmm. off them because you mentioned that. We can have two rigid ones either. where We don't listen at all. We're not hearing at all. It's that fine balance that I thought was was beautifully put.
0: Well, yeah, that, I mean, that story, I, I mean, I have chills even just hearing you tell it and this is something that happened years and years ago in my office, but it made such an impression on me because it really was just that holding that space between the son neither had to take it on. And if he had taken it on, it would have completely shifted the energy between he and his, between him and his bride. Oh yeah. Because now he's judging, he's judging the bride, he's blaming her because the photographer yet, I mean, it would have been a rabbit hole. Between the two of them. And so so his, so he neither took it on nor did he attack, right? He didn't have to screw you, Dad, you always, you never. This is what's been going on since I was a little boy. He did neither he ended up on neither of those shores and stayed in that really neat place of, okay, I see you and I don't need to take it on. Yeah.
2: This is here's mine, here's yours. I see you, I acknowledge what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And it's yours. <laughs> yeah, good, good luck with it. <laughs> <Yes>. Yeah. Because <laughs> like
0: dance with my bride. Because
2: you're making that choice right now, right? You're making that choice to focus on that instead of the love of my my bride and I. Now he didn't go there though, right? He didn't get into that. There's no time. Why waste my time and in going into that at that point? It would that would have taken sucked energy to have that conversation. It was it was beautiful. It was great. So for anyone listening right now or watching right now, think about how did, are there places in my life where I could use some more defined boundaries that would free me to live more lovingly. Because I think that's what that did. It allowed him to not think it clearly did because the bride was so thrilled with the choice he made and how they had an incredible evening because of that choice and the impact of that choice, that it wasn't just his sense of, I made a good choice today. It was also, I'm proud of you for making a good choice today. And now we're growing together as a couple. And what a perfect day to do that on, but on the first day of your married life together.
0: Seriously. One of my favorite teachers, Les Greenberg, who created a, an approach called emotion-focused therapy, talks about, you know, the change. So, so the, the groom made a change inside of himself, right? He responded differently to dad than he had in the past. And that's a change. But what Les Greenberg says is the change gets really locked in when the people who you care about witness your change and shine on you. You know, so, so it really was like the loop was completed by the bride Bearing witness to it and being like, oh, look at you. Look what you did for us. That is what cements for the groom his own pride and, and clarity around, okay, this is a different way of living. You know, yeah. that whole thing about the, there's the change and then there's the when another witnesses our change. That's so powerful. We just, that's just our nature, isn't it? Like we just, we really need to be witnessed by others and, and that's not unhealthy pathological dependence. That's just being humans who are connected to other humans. So having others witness us taking brave steps, trying a new way of being, is what really helps us stand in our n- new awareness.
2: Well, and I love the us, because you dive into that also, about when you enter into a new relationship, there's an us that is, that is going to have its own self-relationship, independent of family relationship here, Family relationship on this side. All these mm-hmm. other relationships are there. And how do you, is, are you always doing what that family wants? Then do you really have a self, do you have a us? Or is it really a them? Are you living by them? Or are you living by us? Uh, and it's a wonderful conversation. And what's needed throughout the book is you bring in other experts. You say mm-hmm. this this concept, this belief, this theory, like you just did right there. Uh, mm-hmm. And you mention that one in the book. You dive into that in the book. Uh, so you get all these cool awesome lessons that in addition to you coming from top experts in each area that these lessons are pertaining to
0: which is powerful mm-hmm. yeah my gosh i'm so grateful for all of the all of the teachers you know everyone who's come before me and and i i yeah it feels like a weaving together of so much that that i've learned and been part of and i think being a teacher for as many years as i have been like that's that's kind of the heart of what i've been doing is translating translating what researchers and clinicians have had to say for many years and kind of helping students take all of that in so they can become the clinicians that they need to be.
2: Yeah. And I love that, that they can be the clinicians and in their field, they're in the graduate work of to be clinicians. But I think it's an interesting concept for each of us. Am I a clinician for myself? Right mm-hmm. in, in my relationships, I love that. That's beautiful. And where would be the the number one place someone should go to get the book? I know it's on Amazon, so that's the most blatantly obvious. Would and in, in just for everyone out there it's loving bravely uh, and Alexandra Solomon. And so, S O L O M O N, correct? Exactly. Ooh, yeah. Got it right. Okay, yeah. so uh, so you looked that up on Amazon. Where are there other places that you say, hey, no, you know, in addition to Amazon, you get it right off my website? Are there locations that you also recommend?
0: Um, you know, it's it's in Barnes and Noble. It's in actual brick and mortar <laughs> Barnes and Nobles around the country. So that's another place. Um, Barnes and Noble's website, Indiebound Books, um, is carrying it, and Amazon. And as you mentioned, it's available as a paperback, a Kindle, audio CDs, and then downloadable. So the audio CDs are by Tantor Media, but available through Amazon. And then there's also Audible's downloadable digital audio, and um, really a lovely narrator has got a great voice and she create that product with us.
2: And that that can be a great option for people because those you're in Chicago. I know you're in Chicago and I was just down there quickly last night and there are times you're stuck in an hour of traffic to move 2 miles and Audible can be an awesome way especially because if you have let's say you have your Kindle and you have Audible it has whispernet so wherever you left off reading the Audible can pick up and you can continue your journey while you're driving that's wonderful for anybody out there so think of that you have some really cool options you can use for listening to this book and really applying it. Uh, That that I found were wonderful. And and I think that this, for somebody that is looking at themselves and wondering, how can I learn and grow? Or somebody saying, hey, I just got engaged or somebody looking to get, this is such a great gift because one, just to do it for yourself is a gift. If the two of you can do it together, I can only imagine the learning mm-hmm. and the growing that could come out of this. But I think there's a fine line there, right? Of you can't make your partner want to read a book with you. <laughs> right? And and I think a lot of us, you know, when we're learning about mindfulness, we want our partner to read all the stuff we're reading so we can have this journey together. But you're on your journey. They're on theirs. That's part of mindfulness as honoring their journey. So let yourself take the journey. If somebody doesn't want to take it with you, you take it. It's still going to be so helpful. And if you live it, they're going to learn from your from your role modeling, from your actuality of how you present yourself, and yeah, that's
0: and that's right. a good thing too. Yes, it's quite a lead balloon to be like you know. I circled uh, lesson seven for you. I think you really you know. How do I how do I get you to read this? That's not really the way to do it. But you're right. Living it, showing it, uh, inviting, asking. I also think a neat way to experience the book. We made my team and I made a number of downloadable. PDF materials sort of supplementary materials that go along with the book and one of the ones we made is a really cool Like a reading group guide so I can imagine people coming together in community with others if they want to experience the group the the work of the book in community to create a a, Use it as part of your book club or create a group of friends and read it together and for each of the lessons of the book There are process questions and discussion questions um, Provided for the entire book so that would be one way for somebody who's looking to kind of experience and witness the work in community. If you don't have a willing partner or an interested partner to create, get some friends together and do it that way. I
2: love that. And you already do that naturally in the book. You have all the exercises, everything at the end of each chapter, but you're saying there's a separate PDF with an additional group discussions. So once they get the book, is that a link? Because by the way, for anyone watching or listening right now, lots of links to some great resources throughout the book. So is that one that you have to have the book to find the link for the group community read? You do.
0: That's yeah. What you go. I it's, okay. it's through the yeah, through the publisher's website. But I don't think it matters which, which way you buy the book, but then you go through the publisher's website to download the supplementary materials and the reading gro- the book club guide.
2: Very cool. So where just so I because I know many people that are in book clubs that may be listening to this right now and thinking, Oh, I love this idea, love it, but I need to find it in the book before I start obviously diving into the book with my book club. Do you know where in the book they're gonna find that resource of the community group read. Is it towards the back?
0: I don't know. Let's put up, maybe we can put up a link. All right, we'll site. do that. We'll I do that. Know. We'll, we'll, I know we'll find sure out from you
2: and we'll put it in the show notes. So for yes, anybody, good. anybody listening right now or watching right now, you can go to everydaymindfulnessshow.com. When this episode's up, we always have show notes with highlights from the, the conversation and then also links to anything we mentioned in the conversation. So if, even though this might not be a link because you need the book, we can tell you where in the book to find that, we'll get that. We'll get yeah. that from you, Lisa, and we'll we'll have that put on there. This has been an awesome time with you. You know how I've told you many times how much I love this book. I think it's a great tool, is what it is, to work on ourselves in a wonderful, non judgmental way of discovery. So I want to thank you for writing the book. You're a, you're one of our cast members, and I'm grateful for that with the Everyday Mindfulness Show. So thank you so much for joining us today for one on one.
0: Thank you, Mike and
2: absolutely and for everyone listening out there we hope that between now and then please download more episodes of everyday mindfulness show on itunes leave reviews leave ratings that helps more people find it and we hope that you live an everyday mindfulness life each day three quick reminders one please subscribe to the everyday mindfulness show on itunes already subscribed then encourage others to join us by inviting them to subscribe to the show Two, while on iTunes, download all the latest episodes. Three, reviews help more people find out about the show. Would you please go into iTunes and write a review? Doing so helps spread the mission of the show. Thanks.
1: We appreciate you being a part of our vibrant, oftentimes silly, and always vulnerable community. If you have an idea, a thought, Want to sponsor the show or just want to say hi, send us an email at listen at everydaymindfulnessshow.com and check us out at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. Have a joyful, mindful week.